Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. All right, good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here this morning. If you've got a Bible this morning, I'd love you to turn to the book of Joshua. We're in week eight in our Take Hope series as we've been studying week in and week out out of Hebrews 11, these amazing men and women of faith who have gone before us that inspire us, that reassure us that God is with us in our generation like he was with them in their generation. Now today, we're going to hear the short story of a woman that is mentioned for only one line in Hebrews 11, yet her story story is unbelievably powerful. Actually, whether you know it or not this morning, her story has affected every single person sitting here or watching online or watching in the north today. Her story actually is a perfect lead-in and lead-up to seeing people baptized in all our services and in all our sites. Now, her name is Rahab. Now, to understand her story fully, we need to talk about another person and another story. Our our journey begins like this today. Moses has just died, and his mentoree, his disciple, his right hand, Joshua, now an older man himself, is now leading the people. God's people are about to move into the promised land. Now, 600 years earlier, God met a man named Abram, called him Abraham, and promised him this very land. This was 600 years in the making, and now they're on the brink of entering into the promised land. So God now comes very close to Joshua like he used to with Moses, and he begins to speak to him. Again, let me remind you that Joshua's main friend, his leader, his mentor has just died. And God comes close in this time of grieving, in this time of leadership transition, and now says to the new leader, I am going to give you, Joshua, and the people of your generation the promised land that I promised Abraham 600 years earlier. Not even the mightiest of cities, not even the most organized armies, not even the most entrenched people will be able to stand against you because I have decided in my sovereignty that you can have this land. It reads like this in Joshua 1.3. I'm going to give you every place where you set your feet, as I promised Moses. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. So the promise that was given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all the way through, Moses is once again affirmed. And the next part of the story goes like this. God says, now I want you to go up and I want you to cross the Jordan River. So I would expect if I'm reading the story that the very next thing that Josh would do is obey on the spot and cross the, Josh, cross the Jordan River. And if you know the story at all, at this moment it's in flood season, so it's massive and it's dangerous. But no, the story does not actually go there. Joshua does not immediately obey. If you turn to Joshua 2, that's where we're going to be today. Before the actual crossing, before up to a million people cross a flooded river into the promised land, God's story takes a very interesting twist. The story narrows down to a secret reconnaissance mission, a spy story, a cloak and dagger story, just before the promise is taken and walking into It says in Joshua 2.1, these words, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Now, if you, again, have read your Old Testament, maybe you have, maybe you have not, you'll know that Joshua, 40 years earlier, had the exact same job. 
They had come to the edge of the promised land and Moses had said, God has given us this land and he sent 12 spies into the promised land and they came back and they said, it's beautiful, it's filled with milk and honey, an old description of saying it is so bountiful and profound and we need to be there. And yet they said at the same time, it is filled with giants, the lands are heavily fortified and 10 of the 12 spies said, we cannot do this. Joshua and Caleb said, we can do this because God is with us. But the people did not listen. The ten spies did not listen. Moses did not listen. And so that whole generation died in the wilderness. But now, now 40 years later, they're on this brink again. And Joshua sends in now only two. Now, does he really trust God? I mean, he already has said 40 years ago, we can do this. Is he now doubting? Is this a double, double check to see if God is really with them? Is this a lack of faith? Is this sin repeating itself again? No. This is good organizational leadership. This is living between prompting and planning. He is trusted. He is prudent. He is wise. And he's starting a good process. Once God speaks and he is heard, he now begins to build a plan. Everything's good so far. So the two spies go into the land, and they go exactly where they're supposed to go. They go to Jericho. And then it reads like this. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. So these two people, these two men, enter into a prostitute's house after they've just been in the presence of God's leader. Now her name is Rahab. In the original language, her name literally means wide open and prideful. Now, either this woman is the only sex trade worker in the house or she's the madam of the whole house. Now, these two spies, most likely young adult men, go into her house, which is very wise in the spy game because this house would be frequented by men of all ages night after night. So, so far we have spies and invasion, God, the promised land, and a prostitute all within two verses. Then within like all good films, like a good Jason Bourne film, everything begins to fall apart right at the beginning. In this high-stakes event, as this cloak-and-dagger mission is unfolding, suddenly the two spies get exposed. In the middle of this whole city-state, which is on high alert because they know that up to a million people are about to invade their land, two people or a group of people see these two men. It says that the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho (coughs) sent a message to Rahab. You bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. The tension would have been unbelievably high at this moment. Forty years earlier was the last time that the people of Jericho had even seen the Hebrew or Israelite people, but now they are here. The invasion is coming, and the king, of course, wants them. Why? Because he wants to get information. He wants to torture them. He wants to find out what Joshua's next move is so he can prepare. And then there's Rahab's life. Her life is hanging in the balance. She's already distrusted by her profession or despised, tolerated maybe. And at all times we know this, whatever generation you live in, if you welcome or support or harbor an enemy, you get killed for it. So the soldiers come and they pound on her door. And they're not here coming to buy and pay for sex. They're here to deal with two supposed young men that appear like clients but are not. And they demand that these two young men are brought out. And what should she do? And what would she do? Would she give them up so they could be tortured, killed to save her own life? Well, it says, are they here? In verse 4, it says, well, yes, the men did come to me, but I I did not know where they had come from. And at dusk, when it was time for us to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You might catch up with them. But she had really taken them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax, which she had laid out on the roof. 
Flax is a normal annual crop at this time and in this region, and, and these two men are sitting under hundreds of pounds of stocks, wondering if they're about to die. Well, she spins an unbelievable story. She hides them under produce upstairs. Think about it. If the messengers and soldiers had come in and searched the house, they would have been found. Rahab would have been killed, and so would the two men. But Rahab plays it so well, using her job and her reputation and presumptions about her and her home. She misleads the soldiers, and off they go on a wild goose chase. But now new problems appear. The two spies are actually trapped in a closed city. They're actually laying on top of her house, and they don't know what to do. It says, well, they sort of went to sleep. Yet before they closed their eyes, before they looked at the stars, before they were sort of surrounded by this camouflage of flax, what comes out next is so very important. She comes up and she says to them, I know. I know that God has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen upon us. So all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Oh, I know. Listen, I know that God has done this. This is a done deal. We can resent this and resist this all we want. We can put it out of our minds, or we can fortify, or we can come together, or we can build bigger walls, or we can find better weapons. But I know that I know that I know that the ultimate God, the mighty God, the God who you worship has given my life to you, and my house to you, and my city to you, and this land. We are done. See, really what's taking place, this is psychological warfare, but it's directed by heaven itself. Dread is upon us. The truth of God and his work and his presence has come. It is like God himself and his presence and his power is already upon all these other people. And he has gone ahead of his own people and it is causing dread and fear. And the people who had given themselves to idols and to demons are, are being broken by heaven itself. Why? Because they know history. Rahab begins to recount what has happened in the last 40 years. She says, you know, we've heard. How God, your God, dried up the water in the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. We, we know about that. And we know what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan. And you completely destroyed them. Oh yes, we know about the plagues in Egypt. And we know that your God split the Red Sea. And we know that your people have wiped out the Amorites. And now you've actually settled in their land. He said, she says in verse 11, we have heard it. And our hearts have melted in fear, and everyone's courage has failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God of heaven above and the earth below. Now notice this. She's not confessing this is her God. She's acknowledging the reality of God, but it's not her God. She says to the spies, it's your God. Her words, her confessions show progression, though, a movement from her gods to the true God. Oh, she lived in a world of many gods, yet within the Parthenon of her gods, Baal and Yam and Mot and many others, in the council of gods, she now does something so interesting. She exalts, she lifts up, she acknowledges that the Lord, the God of Israel, is the most high God. There are many gods and many powers and many demons in this world, but she says there is one who is above them all. She is not a strong monotheist, but she has now come to the decision that the God of these two men and the God of the Israelites is the true uncreated one. So in this moment of desperation, in this moment of loss, in this moment of being cornered with nothing else to do and no way out, she looks at these two spies and she says these immortal words. So now then, please, swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. 
You give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my mom and my dad and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your life, the men assured her. Our lives for your lives. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us a land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived was part of the city wall. Now it's interesting As I preached this a few years ago, I learned this for the first time. That in Hebrew, if you had the ability to read it in the original language, the word cord and the word hope sound almost exactly the same and look exactly the same. And so there's this unbelievable wordplay taking place, this innuendo in the meaning. In other words, as they go down the rope, a cord which becomes the vehicle of their salvation and hope, it will take on greater meaning later. And as they're going down hope, as they're going down salvation, suddenly in this most exposed position, because at this moment, if Rahab decided to change her mind, this would be the place to do it. She is looking at them walking down or climbing down the wall and they look back up at her and they say, this oath you've made, I swear, will not be binding on us. Verse 17, unless we enter the land and you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you've let us down and unless you've brought your mom and your dad and your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them goes outside your house into the street, the blood will be on their own heads and we will not be responsible. You must bring your family in when we come. And you need to put this scarlet cord, this red cord in this very window so we will know we can identify you from all the others. The cord that has brought us hope. This cord that has become our salvation, that has got us out of torture and death. This cord that is allowing us to escape an enclosed city. This cord is going to become a cord of hope for you. It is going to become the vehicle of salvation for you. This will be a sign of your family's salvation. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Well, if you know the story or if you don't, the invasion takes place. All sorts of very miraculous and profound things happen. And the question you always need to ask is, what happened to Rahab and her family? Was she spared? Oh, yes, and so much more. It reads in Joshua 6, 25, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her family and all who belonged to her, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. She and her whole family are literally saved. And now notice they are now part of the people of God. She has now entered into a people that were not her people because of her faith. And yet there's so much more. She is never forgotten. Actually, she is part of God's grandest, most significant move in all of history. See, the name Joshua, transliterated into Greek, is Jesus. And Joshua means God saves. And of course, we know that this historic event that really happened is a foreshadow of what was really going to take place for the whole human family. See, Jesus is the better Joshua And Jesus has come, and our salvation is the better promised land. In other words, we get to know God personally, and there's a new heavens and new earth coming. And I love this. And this prostitute, this sex trade worker, who is not only in that profession, but is also not a Jew, 
This separated person who did not know God personally, whose life was a living contradiction to the will and law of God, who worshipped idols and demons her whole life, she by faith, she by informed trust, said yes to the true God and no to her gods, yes to the new people and no to her own people. She gave up everything and risked her life to be saved. And that decision she made changed the whole world forever. Why? Because Rahab is included in Jesus' very line. Rahab is Jesus' time's whatever grandmother. You find her name in Matthew 1.1. And this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. If you read down, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz is the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. See, this is what's so profound, what we're going to celebrate today. Number one, God loves everyone, and God in his plan to bring salvation to the world decided to choose a non-Jewish prostitute to declare that anyone can be saved if they call upon the name of the Lord. And that is the beautiful thing about Christianity. But not only that, Rahab becomes for us as a movement, no matter our ethnic background, no matter where we've come from, whether we're really good or... Listen, she becomes a profound example of faith. That is why she is included in Hebrews 11.31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with the disobedient. Even Jesus' half-brother James says this in James 2.25. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous, right with God. God for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body is with the, without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In other words, real encounters with the living God always produce a different life. Many church fathers in the first 200 years of the church actually pointed to the cord of scarlet as a foreshadow for the blood of Jesus that would save us from our own destruction. In the first 500 years of Christianity, most pastors, when they preached this passage, bishops and priests, would say that Rahab is the symbol of the actual church because by faith and her kindness, she secured the salvation of her own family as she welcomed them into relationship with God. But the thing we need to remember as we prepare to cease baptisms here, baptisms in the north, and in the next service is this. Never forget that we are all Rahab. I mean, this is the truth of Scripture that is missed by so many people. We have all, no matter how religious or non-religious you have been, we have all worshipped other gods. We have elevated sex or money or power or fame or other worldviews or actual other deities or ideas, and we have worshipped them. We are under the just wrath of God. We all did not know God personally. We were not part of the people of God. And our lives were marked by being open and wide to everything ungodly in some form. Our lives, if we all just take an honest moment, always reflect pride first. Though we thought we could run our life without God or we made it a God, a God that suited us, actually the best description is all of humanity acts like spiritual prostitutes, continually giving ourselves to things that we're called not to and running away from the one that loves us. And yet when we in faith, when we in informed trust turn to God and said, save me if you have done that, he does. 
God loved Rahab. He knew what was going on in her life, and he was able to do something. And Jesus, of course, who's the better Joshua, comes and sets us free. As Rahab came to God, so many of us in this place have come to God through Jesus and experienced a greater salvation even than Rahab. Paul, who once actually murdered Christians, who became one of our greatest leaders, wrote these words in Romans 10.9, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is deeply rooted in the story of Rahab. And Rahab is the perfect character for us to think about baptism today. Because if Rahab's historic life was all of us spiritually, and then there's new life, baptism, which we're about to see, is the symbol of that very thing. See, baptism is an outward symbol of an inward work. We always use the illustration of a wedding ring. A wedding ring doesn't make you married. A wedding ring doesn't keep a marriage together, but it is an outward symbol and declaration of covenant made. It's an outward declaration that you are no longer available. You're off the market. You've given yourself to one person forever. It is a declaration of love and faithfulness. It is a declaration of connection, and that's exactly what baptism is. It is a declaration, I am now part of the people of God. I've been saved by the scarlet cord called Jesus. Jesus, the better Joshua, has already covered me. And when someone is put underneath water, it's a declaration that I am spiritually clean. I'm dying to my old way of life. I'm no longer like Rahab. I will not worship these old gods. I will no longer belong to these people. I'm saying no to an old life. I'm saying yes to a new life. So it's saying death to the old life, yes to a new life in Jesus. It's the affirmation that Jesus actually lived, physically died, and physically rose from the dead. And since Jesus rose from the dead, we also can be raised raised from the dead when we die and he comes back. And it really is a declaration that we're never going to turn back. Baptism is the declaration that we have encountered God through Jesus. We have hope. We have salvation. Death has not overcome us. The destruction that God would bring upon our life because of our sin has now been covered. And because of faith in the better Joshua, we're set free. And so today what we're going to see is people, young and old, kids, teenagers, young adults and adults, celebrate the good news of Jesus that was foreshadowed in Rahab, which is now real now and will be fulfilled when Jesus comes back. So is anyone excited to see some baptisms this morning? And so let me just take a moment to pray as we prepare to do this, Lord, in this service, in the next service that's going to happen in the north, the service after that, we pray for all these people that they would follow after you, that you would guard their faith, that they would be strong and courageous in Jesus, that they would be able to continue to follow after him. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us when we did not love you. Thank you that when we were dead in our sins, you made us alive. Thank you, Jesus, you give us hope that death isn't the end, forgiveness is real, and we truly can declare that we are loved by God no matter our histories. We just pray you'd bless these people now in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. And remember, in this church, we give standing ovations, right, at every single baptism. I was at Carrie Underwood last night. That was fine. This is way better. Way better. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.